In regard to the uh, coronavirus, we are being constantly told that we should do things as individuals. And, and that is, of course, absolutely right. We must be totally committed to limiting travel and washing hands and so on. But some people will still have to travel. Is there still a role for public transport? And if so, what are or should the service providers be doing? Yao Wong is from the Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies at Sydney University. We have had him on the program before. He has been looking at this situation around the world. Yao, thanks very much for your time. Good to be with you, David. Now, has China shut down all or, or most of its public transport? Not at all. On the issue of public transport shutdown, I mean, we saw an article in the age of the weekend that was uh, had some experts advocating for uh, what we should not be doing is shutting down public transport. We should be shutting down society. We should not be shutting down public transport. And in China, even at the highest point of the outbreak, China public transport was not shut down across the country. The only places where public transport was fully shut down was right in the epicenter in Wuhan and some of the uh, surrounding commuter belt cities where the buses were needed to be redeployed to use to transport medical workers, to use to ferry groceries for people, for instance, as mobile grocery stores. In the rest of the country, it was not shut down. Public transport ran a reduced service with much higher levels of sanitary cleaning regimes and also also uh, social distancing measures. Yeah, there's things they can do. Is this similar to other parts of the world? Other parts of the world is really um, just starting to see... Um, this uh, coronavirus uh, escalate. So over the period of the past week, we have seen um, a lot of uh, new policies being imposed on the public transport systems in America, in, uh, in Europe, and uh, enhanced cleaning regimes in Australia as well. We've also seen a lot of uh, service reductions, uh, some linked to cost pressures, others linked to um, also the need to reduce people's uh, propensity to travel. So uh, running a weekend timetable, for instance, during the weekdays. Um, and we've seen a lot of uh, patronage uh, taper off as well around the world. What have they changed, for example, in terms of sanitising? I mean, maybe I'll start off in Australia. In, in Australia, we have very lean uh, bus operations. I mean, they're some of the most cost-effective in the world. It's very different to the sort of gold-plated ones you see in Europe or the very labour-intensive Asian systems that we see. So, you know, the, the kind of status quo, the standard operating procedure, if you will, in Australia is drivers sweep their bus at the end of the shift, at the end of the day. They sweep it with a broom. That's it. And um, every couple of days, a rotational subset of the fleet in the depot uh, would undertake a, a much uh, deeper interior and exterior clean as well. And a lot of uh, so what we've really advocated is much uh, more frequent uh, sanitizing cleaning. So now uh, uh, just over the course of the past week, uh, pretty much every single uh, Australian jurisdiction, every state has moved to, I think, nightly uh, uh, cleaning, if not more. I think South Australian has gone to the most extreme three times a day on the public transport fleet. They've um, uh, procured a, 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 a lot of um, contractors to do that. But I think the benchmark really is um, in China. What, what has been done a lot um, uh, during the outbreak um, is um, cleaning not at a run or at a daily level, but at a trip level. After every trip, uh, for instance, in, in Shenzhen, one of the a typical city, if you will, um, 
you know, they, they, they employed a series of 300 cleaners, sanitizers, and then uh, there will be one or two that would, uh, that would clean a bus at the end of, and after it does a route, it takes about 10 minutes, and they're all in uh, protective gear because we know that the virus is asymptomatic, so people can be spreading it even if they don't know about it. So we have to take all the precautions, and we, we haven't seen people in respiratory uh, protection, uh, so masks, for instance, or, or goggles um, in, in Australia, which uh, may be a little bit worrying. Um, and yes, sanitation has been set, uh, stepped up um, in, in America and Europe, other parts of the world as well, um, as, as you say. Now, we may pursue developments in that. There's talk of or some use of robotics. Yes. Um, in Hong Kong, um, the rail operator, MTR, has, uh, I think, deployed a fleet of uh, 20 uh, robots uh, that are cleaning the train fleet and also on uh, some of those uh, depot and station uh, locations as well, high, high, highly frequented areas. In, um, in Shanghai, there's a UV sort of cleaning uh, uh, in place. So it is, a, it is a potential for these. I'm not sure how uh, quickly a lot of these uh, technologies might be able to d be deployed because really we need something that's doable immediately uh, right now rather than waiting for some uh, technology to be procured or to, or to come online. Yes, there won't be a magic solution tomorrow, although that may help us move in a direction even in terms of not only cleaning within the public transport vehicle but also on stations and bus stops. That's right, definitely. And also other public spaces as well. We've seen images around the world, firstly in China and now in places like Italy and France and, um, and Europe of, uh, of sanitizing uh, footpaths, parks, and all the sort of public areas. And, you know, Western countries are more scarce in terms of um, labor. And that's where uh, robotics, these sorts of uh, technologies might have a role to play. You talked about keeping your social space. I noticed one transport planner or planner has said, can we please refer to it as spatial distances? Social distance sounds very prohibitive and, and negative. Physical, I think. Yes, physical distancing, not social. How can we get people to give that space on public transport? Firstly, you need to discourage people to travel. So, so in China... It's pretty much a stay-at-home directive, except for grocery shopping, except for essential work that you have to do. And it helped um, in much of the country because it was during the Chinese New Year holiday as well. And that was extended too. Whereas in Australia, what we're seeing is a ramping up of the, um, of the policy, of the directive, in a way where you're actually almost following the curve on the way up, which is a little bit worrying. But in public transport specifically, look, in China, um, the, the directive in a lot of uh, cities is one person per seat inside a bus, 50% capacity, and it, it's enforced via CCTV in, in real time, for instance, in terms of uh, places. And you're, you're seeing it in places like Singapore, in other places as well, sort of uh, markings on, on the ground, for instance, if you're queuing for a bus or a, or a train, some markings to tell you where to stand to help to uh, encourage um, people to give more space uh, between each other. Look, in, in Australia, I mean, we, we saw how uh, the policies went from banning uh, 500 people 
uh, gatherings to 100, and now that's uh, one person per four square meter rule, right? But the big exception was in public transport. Now, of course, the public transport in Sydney is, you'll know, in a packed train or a bus, you know, one full train going into CB, the CBD, that's, that's 2,000 people in that, in, in that train with uh, full, full, fully seated and, and standing. So luckily, um, because of a lot of our companies as uh, work from home policies, and we saw the transport minister, Mr. Constance, tell people to uh, travel off peak. We've seen a severe drop in terms of uh, the patronage on the public transport network. And this is the same around Australia and uh, around a lot of the parts of the world as well. So the figures I've been hearing in uh, in Melbourne, it, it was something like 50% drop um, in the past week. In, in Canberra, it was around 25% drop. Look, some of these figures, are, I think the route, the commuter, kind of uh, regular scheduled services, the drop might be even lower. It could be up to 80%. But a lot of these uh, figures, they, they're counting, I think, school services, which because the schools have not been shut down yet, we saw a lot of policy confusion back and forth yesterday on, on, on this matter. A lot of the school services are still, um, uh, and, and school services are designed to be uh, fairly uh, well utilized. But uh, in the general public transport network, um, when there's less people on the system, um, it's far easier to give uh, a social or uh, physical uh, distancing between between commuters. And so I think we uh, we, we can be uh, feel a bit safer in terms of how how that has been. Uh, how, how, how that is coming into being on the public transport network. We've been talking for a long time, generally, about the need to spread the peak. Yep. Perhaps this is going to be one that really helps force it. You've raised the issue of ventilation. How important is that? Ventilation is very important. Public transport spaces are confined uh, uh, spaces, poorly ventilated as, as well. We've, we, we saw some research quite initially in the beginning of of transmissions occurring within within buses in China and then later in in uh, in Japan with a bus driver who who was infected uh, due to carrying tourists from from China over the weekend we saw in New York the Metropolitan Transit uh, Authority uh, a, a lot of their staff were were infected and a lot of this has to do with um, uh, being in closely confined space. And we just talked about social distancing, physical distancing, which can clearly help in that. But there's still a range of measures that can be done to improve ventilation. Look, public transport vehicles these days are more less conditioned, which makes ventilation, natural ventilation, a bit more difficult. In Hong Kong, what has been done is some of the windows in these air-conditioned buses has been refitted with, uh, with opening ones to help with ventilation. And look, in, in, in Australia, um, there's perhaps better cleaning, changing of the air conditioning filter. There could be ways, I think, where we can help, uh, maybe even going the airline style kind of route. We always hear how clean uh, cabin air is on, on the planes. Uh, may, maybe some of those measures can be used to, to help on this, uh, this, this matter. I think the aeroplanes, though, reduce their air conditioning when they stop smoking, which was good one way, but perhaps not as good the other. But nonetheless, you're quite right. They still work at it very hard. What about protecting the driver? What can we do to do that, obviously, on buses? Drivers are the frontline staff in our battle against um, coronavirus. Drivers of both uh, public transport systems, we need the public transport system to keep going. A lot of people need to go to hospitals. 
health sector workers, shift workers for our supermarkets. If there's no transport system, and I'm including freight transport here, the supply chains, um, look, the the it's 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 a very um, dire in terms of um, how a lot of these systems in place we have might might collapse, and drivers and not only bus drivers, but look, heavy vehicle drivers in general, they they are a vulnerable group of people. Bus drivers, their average age, age is around 56 years old. We know that virus um, is uh, takes older people uh, far more harshly. Um, so dr- measures definitely need to be put in place for, for our frontline uh, employees. In Asia, a lot of the systems, they've um, offered um, masks, uh, for for their frontline employees, for their staff. Clearly, we have a different mask policy in 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 the West, in in Australia around around that. But um, it's 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 better to be safe, I, I think. Um, some of the operators in Australia they've started issuing out hand sanitizers um, to to drivers to encourage them to uh, look after their hygiene. A lot of the systems in Europe have actually closed off use of the front door. Uh, so what that means is passengers board and alight via the rear door, and that helps with, uh, again, uh, distancing between the crew and the passengers as well. In uh, in Sydney, we've seen some of that. I think uh, more closing off of the front seat and in coaches as well, of the front seats behind the driver to help with that. But I think there hasn't been a, a, a directive from the top for that to be applied uh, universally at the moment. Drivers, some of their ventilation areas can also be um, a bit more tricky. A lot of the windows these days, they're, they're not opening because, because of uh, practices that have been engineered in because there's been some runaway bus accidents when drivers try to reach in from outside of the bus to close the door, for instance, and they accidentally hit the handbrake or something and the bus roll, rolls off. So some of the some of the buses you'll see that the driver's um, uh, windows uh, can, cannot even open. But um, drivers are, are very much important. They need to be protected in this time. We've seen in places like in Singapore, for instance, where where the borders have been locked, the, the, the only two sectors where um, non-Singaporeans can still come in are in healthcare and in transportation, and, and also domestic workers as well. So, so transport is very much important. If we're going to get to a stage, um, a really dire stage, and look, obviously we hope we don't get there, but in the unfortunate event we do, like in Italy or I think Britain's talking about it now. We we might need to be repurposing our our buses as uh, mobile grocery deliverers or stores, for instance. To, if so many people need to be quarantined and, and and isolated, and we're going to need our our drivers to to be doing this. So definitely, uh, very very much important to protect the drivers. We've heard from the unions. I think even from weeks ago, before the authorities have started with with these plans around. Uh, things like banning, cash handling, all sorts of um, all sorts of measures that that need to be done to prevent the important frontline stuff. I like the idea of thinking about design of vehicles. Now, given that we can now pay for a bus trip by a card, there's no need to go past the front driver that he's not having to deliver deliver money. You're right. I mean, I, I think some of the some of it is still um, is it is still a customer service issue. In case uh, it, it's nice to have that human touch, I suppose you have a wave or a nod on on, on the way into the vehicle. Look, I, I'll say you know what one of the ironic um, aspects that have come up on this driver and use of the front door is you know traditionally the biggest um, kind of um, 
the the people that are most has been most resistant to the use of burrito have been uh, some of the transport uh, workers unions um, because it's harder for drivers to get into a stop with the rear door close to the curb. Um, it's um, a lot of buses aren't designed with um, big rear doors either. It might be a single leaf rather than a double leaf because a lot of operators they want to maximise the seating capacity because they use their buses for for charter purposes as well. So um, a lot of that. Um, but but now of course the the unions are the, the fiercest advocates for for use of the for use of the rear door. So we've seen all of that turn around. On the vehicle design front. I think I think at the end of all of this, I I, I think it's very likely we'll see um, specifications that are linked to um, what has occurred in the coronavirus um, uh, outbreak. Um, we've we've seen in research from the states just in the past week about how uh, the virus um, uh, lingers on various different surfaces, like in the air, it's about three hours. On things like stainless steel or plastic, I think it can be two to three days. And you know, our buses, the the kind of um, grab rails, the handrails, they're all bare stainless steel because they're easy to clean. Um, uh, whereas in a lot of, you know, in 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 places like Hong Kong, they're they're they're, they're not bare stainless steel. They're they're all um, covered in some sort of a ripped material. I don't know if if that can be linked to um, if if that's linked to sanitary um, um, purposes. The other thing is seating. I mean, you, you see the fabric seats. I mean, the typical you 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 would have seen and your listeners these sort of viral videos of some guy getting a hammer and and hitting one of those bus seats and you see all the dust fly everywhere. Those And, and of course, they're very colorful, those seats. That's because uh, one is for graffiti to, to so that you can hide it, but the other is so if it's dirty, you don't really see it. But, you know, those sort of fabric seating is notoriously dirty. So maybe we, we might see things um, in terms of those vehicle design. And these a lot of these are governed by the Australian uh, uh, design rules, uh, ADRs, which govern things like vehicle widths and the drivers, how much visibility is from, 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 from the front, things like that. Maybe we'll see these being written in and them being part of uh, procurement processes for vehicles in the future. You use the expression cost measures and cost effectiveness in the fact that Australia is very, very good. But does that mean that we've tended to drive down costs without building in capability for the, in this case, catastrophe, if if the unexpected might well be it? Are we too focused, and you and I were both at a conference in Singapore last year, where we talked about a focus that is only on making money loses the concept of community benefit. And in this case, might we be losing the value of an essential service because we have driven down costs that make it operate effectively, but only when everything is going well? Well, that is a, that's a fairly loaded question. I'm quite wary to make too much of... Um, of a, of a of a judgment on on this issue. I mean, what 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 I could say, I suppose, is how I suppose our procurement processes, our contracts need to be changed in the future. And yes, I I think changing away from just a pure focused on cost efficiency to a more triple bottom line uh, focused on things like quality and 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 other aspects that that are really important in a way where. In this country, most of the public transport is provided by the private sector under contract to government. They're really um, an extended public servant, if you will. You've, you've seen them really 
been caught on the back foot a little bit in terms of um, the measures that are undertaken. They're not not like some of the retail segments where they've actually gone above and beyond some of the guidelines that that, that were put in. So how can we incentivize these public transport operators, these private operators to go above and beyond their particular remit? So not just complying with cleanliness in terms of their key performance indicators, but going above and beyond it, seeing value for themselves, seeing a value proposition from uh, and, and differentiating themselves in this very homogenous crowd of different um, private operators that are available to government and to, to go above and beyond. And we've seen it actually a little bit now that you mention it in some of the um, commercial operators in this country. There's a lot of commercial operators that, you know, all, all they, they get all their money from, from the fare box, from having bums on seats. So I'm talking about intercity coaches, charter companies, either school charter or tourist charter, hotel, airport charters and the like. They actually came in uh, before, about two weeks ago, rather than one week ago in terms of measures to protect passengers and, and drivers, things like denying boarding and, and greater cleanliness and things like that. So I think, um, you know, taking a broader strategic view, it is important in the future when we're doing uh, these kind of tendering regimes as well. And at the moment, there's 13 contract regions in, in Sydney that will be retended in the next uh, next two years. How can we build in these sort of uh, capabilities for uh, in these crisis situations and maybe how you build in, uh, I suppose, even cost-sharing arrangements for, for, for some of these uh, newer measures um, that, that, that will be uh, that, that, that may need to be put in place. There are other areas there too, isn't it? It's been a concern that governments have tended to cut down on the skills, the broader skills, the particular technical skills of the people that they're employing, and perhaps even into academia as well, the notion that you research something not because you have a short-term benefit from it, a financial benefit, but that it may have long-term implications. Do you think that we may well see from governments a more enlightened view about what they need to sustain in case things change? I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. I mean, this coronavirus, COVID-19, I mean, it's caught a lot of um, Western countries very much off guard. Who would have thought that we'd be at this stage, even just one week, one and a half weeks, weeks ago? We thought it was confined to, to China, but it's, uh, it's spread everywhere. Um, in many cases, Western countries are far less adept at, at, uh, at dealing with this than, than Asia and even Africa, who, who uh, have to be on the, on the front foot all, all the time. So I certainly hope so. I certainly hope there can be a broader focus on, on, on some of those aspects that, that, that you've just talked about. It's ultimately a way of understanding that things won't always remain the same and that uh, we will be able to uh, adapt accordingly to be informed and to be thoughtful about it. Uh, now, we talked about Singapore. The conference we went to, one of the things that came up there was bus trips to regional areas are not just a case of serving individual customers, but creating a sense of community, that that was one very strong issue, which may sound vague, but nonetheless was particularly real to the people in that area. Do you think we may well become a little more aware of that as a type of issue? 
Well, I, I guess the broader kind of uh, theme of what you're talking about is around elements of uh, social inclusion. And we've seen quantified studies of public transport and how important that is. I think each um, uh, some research was undertaken in Victoria, in, 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 in outer suburbs of Melbourne. One trip can be quantified at $45 of value. So, so you know, you compare to the cost of provision or, or the subsidies, it's, it's really nothing in terms of uh, how much benefit that, 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 that you're getting. So, um, look, in... In the crisis situation we have now, the, the directive is, uh, is not to go and travel, to stay as much as you can in, in your suburb or your area or your, or your local shops. So perhaps there could be a reorientation towards, uh, towards local uh, in the suburbs um, of, of about big cities, in, in regional town centers as well, rather than having to travel to, to, to the CBD and maybe more services becoming decentralized or workplaces. I mean, right now, everything's uh, a, a lot of uh, white collar work has gone to people's, uh, people's own homes, isn't it? Um, and also uh, to do work, the future of work, I suppose, the future of workplaces. A lot of companies are going to look at this and wake up and realize, oh, we, we have all these office spaces, all these desks and computers, facilities. Uh, maybe we don't really need them in the future. People can work at home. So uh, what, what it all means, who, who knows? But we will see, I guess. But maybe some of the time they don't have to work there all of the time. And the notion of working at home has always has tended to be seen as an all or nothing. Once this catastrophe is over, we might well go into a balance that has a bit more of each. Yeah, that's been lovely and uh, very helpful and uh, some very detailed analysis. It's a great example, I think, of where academia can provide a good understanding and compilation of information. And I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, stay safe and healthy, David, and to all your listeners as well. And that's Yao Wong from the Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies at Sydney University, not suggesting that uh, you shouldn't try and isolate and not travel, and certainly that you should keep everything else going. But... There is, in parallel with that, things that the suppliers of services are doing to say that if it is absolutely essential, then we can try and do it in as safe a manner as possible.